morning, folks. Uh, uh, welcome to this session. Uh, thanks for coming and attending this session. Uh, hopefully, you had a great party yesterday. Uh, the music was great. So good morning again. So in this session, uh, I'm going to focus on uh, how to develop enterprise applications, uh, specifically mobile and web application uh, using AWS. Uh, I'm Rahul Sharma. Uh, I'm general manager as part of AWS Mobile. Uh, with me, I have uh, Rohit and Sudeep. Uh, they are from New York Life Labs. Uh, they'll talk about uh, how, as a customer of AWS, they are using uh, AWS to develop uh, various mobile applications as part of New York Life. So let me get started. So. AWS customers and lots of enterprises are already using AWS uh, for a range of applications. Like these are uh, your web applications, mobile applications, media entertainment, healthcare, in terms of business applications, gaming. Like as we talk to these customers, uh, we hear lots of uh, requirements and priorities uh, as these enterprises are developing these applications. So first of all, it's all about uh, getting new, unique, and differentiated experiences to their end users. Whether these applications be uh, business to user application, business to consumer, uh, business to employee applications, or business to business applications. It's about creating those compelling, engaging experiences uh, for your users. Agility is the key. Like getting these applications faster to the market uh, is a must. Being slow is less of an option or almost like a not, not an option anymore. Now, in order to do so, developers, uh, these enterprises, uh, need easier way uh, to develop, deploy, manage, scale their applications. They want easier uh, programming model. They want services that enable that. Uh, they also want tools to go with those services. Also, for lots of these applications, integration with existing applications and data sources uh, is a must. As enterprises, obviously, you want to leverage what you already have invested in, and you want to ensure that as you continue your journey with AWS, in fullness of time as you adopt it fully, you are able to leverage what you already have. For enterprise applications, again, whether it be B2C, B2E, or B2B, the illities of the system are must. So they are, in terms of availability, security, reliability, performance, like look at all the illities. You don't want that to be an afterthought. You want that to be designed as part of your uh, applications. You don't want these to cause issues that could have been avoided in the first place. Now for B2C application, identity management is a must, and same for uh, uh, B2E applications. For B2C application, uh, you want your users to be able to uh, log in via social identity providers. You want a, a secure, scalable user directory that you can have your users uh, come in and sign up and sign in using email and phone number. It's a directory you want to own. Now, in terms of B2E applications, you want your users, specifically the employees, uh, to be able to log in using uh, corporate credentials. Uh, you don't want them to create yet another account when they get access to the application. And as these applications get launched, as users start using them, 
you want to measure the engagement. You want to get analytics around uh, like how users are using the application. And the whole purpose there being, again, creating compelling, engaging experiences for your users and iterating on that uh, through analytics and uh, measuring the engagement as part of your applications. So let's look at uh, these requirements uh, and see what are the best uh, architectural approaches, design patterns, and specifically the applied design patterns, and also uh, best practices uh, for building applications on AWS. Now, I say mobile application, but increasingly it's not about mobile versus web. The architectural approaches and the design patterns are very common, whether you're building clients that go for mobile application or whether they go for uh, the web applications. It's increasingly becoming about uh, one common backend with API strategy basically driving uh, how you expose uh, this backend to uh, various types of clients uh, that you're creating. In fact, uh, on the mobile side itself, you can create native applications, but at the same time, uh, you could create hybrid applications, and you can also create web applications that uh, can be uh, rolled out to uh, these mobile devices. So as part of the presentation, first I'm gonna focus on the backend and then uh, uh, talk more about uh, the client side. So we have like a complete end-to-end -end equation as you develop these applications. Now over the years, there are multiple approaches uh, that have come across, and these are the choices that you have. Right? You can start with a traditional client-server uh, approach, not so much more uh, nowadays. Or you could do multi-tier uh, application. So you can start with uh, either a web or a, a mobile client, and now increasingly IoT workloads also. And you could go to a web tier, then an application tier, which has the business and the application logic, and then get to the database tier. A fairly common approach that has evolved over uh, multiple years. You can also do services-oriented architecture, where your backend uh, is a collection of uh, loosely coupled and orchestrated set of web services. And again, a fairly common approach that has, again, evolved over multiple years. Now, depending on the type of the application or the workload, you could also do messaging-oriented middleware approach uh, in combination with uh, SOA or uh, with multi-tier. Uh, as part of uh, messaging-oriented middleware, you could do PubSub messaging or you could do queue-based messaging. Now, as we talk to uh, developers uh, as uh, we see more and more applications being built uh, on AWS. We are increasingly seeing a shift towards uh, serverless microservices approach. Uh, so let me spend some time uh, to lay out uh, what I mean by serverless microservices and then get into details of that. So first of all, uh, it's about the microservices. Uh, a microservice is a self-contained atomic unit of application code or some functionality. Now, it follows a cloud-native programming model, very simple programming model, and we would look into details of that. These microservices are very easy to develop, deploy, scale, and share as well. So we're increasingly getting to a place where there would be reusable microservices that you can either develop yourself or you can get it from other developers. Now, some of the examples of microservices uh, as part of enterprise uh, uh, applications. So you could have a microservice 
that takes an image or a video that has been uploaded uh, to S3, and you can process uh, that particular uh, video or image by an event that is triggered onto your microservice. Uh, you can extract the metadata or do the transcoding. A microservice can create a record in Salesforce. A microservice uh, uh, can also uh, process real-time streams or events coming from uh, various sources. So fairly wide range of examples of uh, types of microservices uh, you can create. And the whole idea here is that instead of having monolithic applications that are harder to develop, uh, fairly complex to deploy, manage, and scale, these microservices basically give you a fairly good amount of flexibility that allows you to do continuous integration and deployment and also fit well into agility, uh, agile uh, model of development as you're developing a range of applications and the backends for your application. Okay. Now, in parallel, uh, serverless approach is also uh, being used heavily by developers. Now, as part of the serverless approach, uh, you as a developer, you focus on the application code. Like in terms of developing uh, these uh, specific uh, microservices, you let the underlying infrastructure, the serverless infrastructure, and the microservices containers take care of scaling, provisioning, and managing uh, the infrastructure. So there is a separation of concern here where serverless basically lets you uh, innovate and develop your uh, applications while the infrastructure takes care of the complexity here. So this combination of serverless plus microservices is increasingly the approach that we are seeing uh, in terms of how the developers are developing the backend of uh, uh, their uh, mobile and web applications. So let's go more into the details of that. Now on AWS, uh, we have a a wide range of services. You can, it's almost like 70 plus services, plus we announced a few more uh, as part of uh, uh, this conference. Now, in terms of developing uh, serverless microservices, there are three core services that you get started with. These are Lambda. This is how you develop uh, microservices as Lambda functions, and we'll go deeper into that. API gateway for how you create publish, manage, secure, and monitor your APIs. And then Cognito for user authentication, user authorization, access control to your APIs, for identity management tied to uh, a directory, and multiple scenarios around identity management. Now, while I say like these three services are the core pillars, you can also use remaining services uh, as part of your uh, uh, serverless microservices infrastructure and uh, applications. For example, you could use DynamoDB uh, for NoSQL. You could use RDS uh, for relational databases. Kinesis, so it's like you pick the services that you need for your application functionality. Uh, starting with these three services, that's sort of the core uh, pillars of that. So let's look at each of these services. Uh, I'll describe them uh, with a quick overview. And then we'll look at uh, specific patterns of using these services for uh, your backend uh, of mobile and web applications. Now, Lambda lets you run your code uh, without managing any infrastructure. So truly serverless. So again, you focus on your application code as Lambda functions. And the Lambda 
execution environment takes care of managing, provisioning, and scaling those servers for you. Now, with Lambda, it's very cost efficient. Uh, you only pay for the compute time that you use. No paying for unused capacity. And then Lambda also does this continuous monitoring and scaling of your Lambda functions, the serverless microservices. So depending on your application load, Lambda would up or scale up uh, your uh, Lambda functions. And depending on the load, if it goes down, it would scale it down also. So you don't have to worry about uh, scaling, monitoring. Lambda uh, is taking care of that. Now, Lambda follows a very simple programming model. Like, as I said earlier, like, you have multiple architectural approaches that have evolved over the time. And some of these architectural approaches have gone uh, fairly complex. Like, say, if you're doing multi-tier, uh, it's not really cloud-native. It's uh, kind of a lot of complexity in terms of developing the backend of uh, your applications using these uh, existing traditional approaches. Now, with the serverless microservices approach, uh, using Lambda, you basically write uh, a handler which acts as a Lambda function, takes an input and a context, and then you process. And the whole idea here is that you're only focusing on a specific unit of application code or function. So you try to keep these uh, services fairly finer-grained. And then you can have your backend be a collection of lots of these microservices that can be uh, coordinated together or can be orchestrated to basically provide the overall functionality of your application. Now, you can develop your uh, Lambda uh, my, uh, functions, uh, serverless microservices, using Java, Python, and Node.js. Uh, yesterday, we announced support for C-sharp also, so that's new. Uh, so fairly wide range of applications that we support as part of uh, Lambda. Oh, sorry. Now, Lambda, I already mentioned part of it. Uh, Lambda is a function uh, that is a unit of application uh, logic. Like I gave some earlier examples. Now, these Lambda functions uh, can be invoked as a synchronous request response, or they can be triggered by events. And we'll look at some examples of that. Now, in order to scale up and scale down and let Lambda execution environment take care of that, the typical programming model for Lambda functions is a stateless programming model. Now, while I say stateless, you can still access, uh, say, DynamoDB, or you can invoke APIs, whether these are APIs on EC2 or APIs that are private uh, API endpoints uh, that are on-premise for you. You can do that from uh, Lambda functions. But by itself, Lambda is not uh, caching or uh, maintaining certain state as part of its implementation. So that's a must for uh, the scalability. Now, Lambda functions are independently packaged, uh, deployable units. What it enables you to do is, because they are independent, uh, you can basically do a continuous integration and de deployment of Lambda functions and like, the microservices corresponding to each of these uh, Lambda functions. And this is like a very important attribute of agile development. You can also specify configuration and uh, scaling requirements for your Lambda functions uh, as part of uh, the deployment model. So for example, you can specify memory requirements. You can specify uh, permissions and roles that are needed to access other services 
For example, if your lambda function is going to invoke uh, DynamoDB, you can define uh, roles and permissions for invocation so access to other services is secure and trusted. Now, you can take these uh, Lambda functions and then you can compose your uh, backend applications as a collection of those Lambda functions. So yesterday, uh, we also announced uh, uh, AWS step functions. Uh, so now, if your application is a collection of these Lambda functions, Obviously, the next question is always about, like, how do you do coordination? How do you do composition uh, of your backend using these Lambda functions uh, as you create your serverless applications as the backend? So AWS Step Functions enables you to do a visual composition. You can define visual workflows. Now, these could be sequential. Uh, these could be, like, you could create branches. Uh, you could have a parallel execution of these Lambda functions. So fairly compelling way of uh, doing this composition. And again, you're keeping it very fine-grained, not creating like these monolithic uh, backends that are hard to evolve and hard to manage and scale. We also uh, recently announced support for a serverless uh, application model, uh, or called SAM. The whole idea behind SAM is how you take your Lambda functions uh, APIs that are exposed using API Gateway in front of those uh, Lambda functions and microservices, and any DynamoDB tables that you're using as part of your microservices, like how do you combine them into a declarative model, and then you can use uh, CloudFormation to deploy the resources corresponding to uh, Lambda uh, as well as API Gateway and uh, the DynamoDB tables. So it's a fairly uh, simple declarative uh, configuration management and composition model for Lambda functions. Uh, you can go to Lambda console on AWS. You can pick a particular uh, Lambda function, and then you can export uh, the SAM file uh, corresponding to that. SAM files uh, are very similar to CloudFormation temple templates, like few extensions. Uh, as I said, you, then you can use CloudFormation to deploy the resources corresponding to these uh, 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 serverless application model and the SAM files. It also enables you to share your Lambda functions. So if I create a Lambda function, I can export it as a SAM file with a deployment package, and other developers uh, can use uh, those particular Lambda functions. So this is, again, emphasizing the reusability of these microservices and the sharing across the community and other developers. Now let's look at uh, some of the examples of how you use uh, uh, Lambda, uh, specifically for your backends. So first of all, a uh, very common pattern is to have API Gateway uh, front-end your Lambda functions. API Gateway would basically map these Lambda functions to REST APIs. Your mobile or web application can call these REST APIs and do a synchronous request response on the Lambda function. And depending on the scale, you get uh, two units of scaling here. You can do scaling at API gateway level as well as scaling at uh, a Lambda level. Lambda also supports uh, an event push model. A uh, typical example is uh, with S3 and SNS. Uh, in S3, let's say from your mobile application, you upload uh, some content. That triggers an event on Lambda through an event push model 
and you can basically take action on the content that has been uploaded into S3. Earlier I gave example of like you could do transcoding, you could extract metadata, and lots of actions you could do in the Lambda function, again in a, a microservice fashion. Lambda also supports uh, an event pool model. Uh, so Kinesis supports real-time streams. And then you can also use DynamoDB to put a stream on top of that. So any events that are emanating from Kinesis or DynamoDB via streams model, you could basically process that as part of your Lambda function. A very common example being, let's say you get a, a stream of events from Kinesis, you want to do certain business logic, and then take an action on that. You could do that as part of your Lambda functions. Lambda functions also support uh, scheduled events, uh, very similar to cron jobs. So you can basically define a schedule for when these Lambda uh, functions would be fired. You can also invoke these Lambda functions uh, using a custom event source. Uh, as part of uh, our Android SDK, as an example, you could integrate it with your mobile application. Uh, create a custom event source and then invoke the Lambda function uh, corresponding to that. Now, lots of AWS services uh, use Lambda as a mechanism to customize and extend the functionality of those AWS services. Uh, to give you an example, uh, Cognito, which is our identity management solution, uh, uses Lambda function to enable you to customize uh, messages uh, that you send as part of the authentication flow. So, for example, you're doing email or phone number verification, or you're doing uh, multi-factor authentication. You need to send uh, email or text messages to your users. You can use Lambda function to personalize, customize those messages. You can also do, use Lambda functions in Cognito uh, to do custom authentication uh, flows. For example, uh, you could implement uh, a passwordless uh, authentication mechanism using the phone number, uh, using Lambda functions as part of Cognito. So lots of uh, scenarios that we see uh, developers using for Lambda. Again, it's a very important service for you. Depending on your the application and the workloads you have, you use it the right way. So next uh, pillar as part of uh, the serverless microservices is uh, Amazon API Gateway. API Gateway enables you to create, publish, secure, manage, and monitor your APIs. It supports a very simplified API development model. So I can take a Lambda function, or I can take an EC2 endpoint, uh, let's say running uh, with Beanstalk, or I can take a private API endpoint and define APIs using API Gateway. It does uh, that enable you to do transformations on the payloads that are coming as part of uh, uh, the APIs. Recently, we announced support for binary payloads as well, so fairly uh, rich model for mapping the APIs. Now, another big advantage of uh, API Gateway is uh, it really performs uh, well at scale. First of all, it does caching as the, these APIs are being invoked. Uh, the advantage of caching being in, like, you're not calling your API endpoints behind uh, API Gateway unnecessarily. Uh, then it also does uh, throttling and metering. Uh, so in order to handle spikes or bursts, uh, you can use API Gateway uh, to do uh, rate limiting as well as uh, throttling. And then API Gateway is integrated with CloudFront, which enables uh, very low latency across the entire CloudFront uh, footprint that we have across the globe. 
that means like you get 60 pops uh, as part of our CloudFront CDN, and that gives you the lowest latency across the globe. Now, API Gateway, you're exposing your APIs. As I mentioned, for enterprises, security is a must. So you want to make sure like access to these APIs uh, is properly authorized after the users have been authenticated, and you do fine-grained uh, role-based access control as well. Uh, so using API Gateway, uh, it provides uh, inbuilt integration with the uh, AWS Identity and Access Management Service, IAM, and also Cognito uh, to do role-based access control as well as authorization uh, for access to these APIs. And we'll look at some examples of that uh, in a couple of slides later. And then API Gateway also does uh, monitoring and metering of uh, uh, the APIs uh, as part of uh, the AWS console. So you can look at... Uh, like how APIs are being used, you can define usage limits, and more functionality as part of that. So fairly compelling uh, as you're exposing your microservices uh, to be accessed via APIs. So here are some examples of using uh, API Gateway. Uh, as I said, uh, you can front-end API Gateway uh, to be in front of uh, your uh, Lambda functions. Uh, those are your uh, serverless, serverless microservices. You can have your uh, API endpoints on EC2, uh, basically with Elastic Beanstalk or uh, raw deploy development that you're doing on EC2. Or you can have uh, any publicly accessible endpoint and also private API endpoints. And we'll look at uh, the private API endpoints in more detail in a couple of slides. Now, the third piece in the puzzle is about security and identity management. Cognito uh, is our comprehensive uh, identity management solution, integrated tightly with the identity and access management service as well as STS. Cognito supports uh, user authentication, uh, user authorization, supports a full-fledged managed user directory, and it also supports access control for AWS resources that you're accessing as part of your microservices or from your uh, client application. So with Cognito, if you're developing a B2C application, you can integrate with multiple uh, social identity providers. It supports Google, Facebook, Twitter, any OpenID Connect provider as well as Amazon. You can also have, uh, for your B2E applications, uh, integrate with SAML-based identity providers uh, ADFS being an example, and you could have uh, your users, in this case employees, be able to log in into uh, these identity providers using uh, their corporate credentials. And then you can also uh, federate with multiple identity providers. And we'll look at uh, these specific scenarios in more detail. Now, Cognito supports both mobile and web application. Uh, very easy to integrate. It's truly serverless again. You don't need to set up any servers, any databases. The Cognito takes care of that. You basically use our uh, SDKs, uh, Android and iOS SDKs, and then you're able to integrate that easily with your mobile application, or you could use a JavaScript SDK to integrate it with uh, your web applications. Earlier this summer, uh, we announced support for uh, Cognito user pools. Uh, it's a service that is already in GA and very widely used by developers. User pools 
gives you a full-fledged managed user directory. If you want to have your users come in and sign up and sign in uh, using email or phone number, uh, you can use uh, uh, Cognito user pools to enable that for your applications. Now, one of the big advantages of uh, user pools is it's your own user directory. Unlike, say, social identity providers, where identities are owned by whoever is providing the social identity provider, this is your own directory. You retain full control of data, user profiles, uh, that, are, uh, that are part of uh, uh, user pools. It's secure. Any user profiles, passwords, that, are you, that you're putting in this user directory, they are encrypted at rest, encrypted in transit. We support a secure random password, uh, which is uh, how the passwords are basically uh, secured end-to-end. -end. It supports multi-factor authentication. So if you want to put yet another uh, factor of authentication as part of uh, the user sign-in, you can enable uh, multi-factor authentication. It supports... Uh, email and phone number verification. If you want to provide another level of uh, validation and verification before uh, users are able to sign up. And then it scales to hundreds and hundreds of millions of users. As your applications go big, that's a very good problem to have. In fact, like it's a first class problem. This, the directory would scale to handle that. And then in terms of uh, integration with the uh, Identity Access Management Service and STS, a secure token service. It simplifies that for uh, your applications. So let's, uh, sorry. Uh, let's look at some examples of uh, how to use uh, uh, Amazon Cognito. Uh, so a very typical scenario for business-to-consumer application, like whether you're building a game, whether you're building a consumer-focused app, is to have your users first start in by just coming in unauthenticated and as guest, because you want them to come in into your application, start using it. Right? Now, once they become familiar with the application, they have choice to step up uh, to authenticate using a social identity provider. Uh, they could authenticate with uh, uh, Google, Facebook, Twitter. Or if they are high worth uh, users, in terms of like how you want to like they're performing a certain transaction, you want them to have sign in and sign up and sign in using uh, email or phone number, you can do that part of the equation. So that you do uh, using Cognito user pools. So you let the users basically step up, uh, sign up using email or phone number. You validate and verify the email or phone number. You could do passwordless authentication also. You can turn on multi-factor authentication. And then these users would be in your own uh, user directory as part of the user pools. Now, for business to employ application, you can integrate with SAML-based identity providers. Uh, I mentioned ADFS, Active Directory Federation Service, as an example. But there are a multitude of uh, SAML providers. And the whole goal here is to let your users be able to sign in using their corporate credentials using existing identity providers that you have already as part of uh, your enterprise and remove the friction there. Now, in business-to-business -business application scenarios, you can have uh, multiple identity providers be federated in as part of uh, Cognito. 
and then depending on a particular business partner and the user corresponding to business partner, they can go to the corresponding identity provider and use their credentials corresponding to that to log in into the application. Now we're also seeing uh, developers and customers using uh, Cognito for IoT scenarios. A uh, very common scenario is I have a set of IoT devices. I as a user or I as a provider of those IoT devices, I can use a mobile or a web application to get secure access to those IoT devices and the data corresponding to that. Now, you can also use uh, Cognito with API Gateway. Uh, now, API Gateway, you want to secure access to the APIs that are uh, front-ended by API Gateway. API Gateway supports a notion of a custom authorizer where you can inspect a particular token and then use the claims in the token to actually map it to specific policies and permission and do access control. So a very easy way to develop that custom authorizer using a Lambda. Again, a very good application of serverless microservices as applied to our services as well. And then for access control to AWS resources, once a user is authenticated with, let's say, a social identity provider or a SAML-based identity provider, or user is even unauthenticated, you can basically get temporary secure AWS credentials from Cognito, and then you can use those uh, credentials uh, to do access control on AWS resources. A very typical example is, let's say a user is authenticated, but you only want to restrict the user to a specific S3 bucket or you want to restrict the user to only a specific row in the database. You could do those scope-down policies using IAM as well as uh, uh, Cognito. Now, I'm excited to announce, uh, coming soon is uh, fine-grained role-based access control as part of uh, Cognito. Now, for security identity management, uh, fine-grained role-based access control is a must-must requirement. Now, in user pools, uh, to support fine-grained role-based access control, uh, we are going to introduce uh, support for groups. So you can partition your users across uh, multiple groups. You can associate each group with a specific role, and that role basically has a set of policies and permissions for this fine-grained uh, uh, role-based access control. Now, also as part of... Uh, uh, Cognito, so far we only supported notion of one role for authenticated identities, one role for unauthenticated identities. And customers told us that was sort of a bit of a limitation that why couldn't they do more authenticated roles? Uh, why can't they do more uh, in terms of fine-grained role-based access control? So happy to announce that soon uh, we would have support for uh, multiple roles uh, for authenticated identities. And the whole idea there is like once an authenticated user comes in via Cognito, you can use the role that is assumed for that particular identity, whether programmatically or via the group that that user belongs to, or via specific rules that you can create in uh, Cognito console, you can narrow down that authenticated identity to a specific role with corresponding policy and permissions and do access control on AWS resources 
or your APIs uh, that are behind API gateway or your own API endpoints as well. So fairly uh, rich, flexible, and secure way of doing uh, role-based access control. With that, uh, I want to invite Rohit and then Sudeep uh, to talk about like how they're using uh, AWS for the mobile applications they have been building and uh, have them share some of the insights on why they made certain choices. Um, my name is Rohit Kati. I'm the CTO for New York Life Labs, uh, joined by uh, my teammate Sudeep Kulkarni here. Uh, thank you, Rahul, for giving us the opportunity to share our experience with AWS here. Um, for those of you who do not know about New York Life, uh, New York Life is a 170-plus-year-old uh, life insurance company headquartered in New York. Uh, we are a, a primary life insurance company, and... Uh, uh, New York Life Ventures is uh, essentially the corporate venture arm of New York Life, uh, and we invest in technology companies that are strategic to our business. New York Life Labs is uh, a subsidiary of New York Life Ventures, and what it is is like a captive startup within the large organization uh, going after the best of technology, um, and we are also segmented uh, from New York Life in, in the sense that we have our own office space uh, and infrastructure. So we are more focused on execution um, uh, on, on new technologies. So uh, this is uh, about New York Life Labs. Uh, the way we go about product development um, is, you know, we build minimum viable uh, products. So we don't take a big bang approach. Uh, uh, we, uh, you know, set aside smaller goals and then use cases to go after um, and, you know, which, which turn into meaningful prototypes and then into products. So that is uh, how we go about product development. Um, so one of the, uh, the, the problem we are trying to solve, right? So um, from, uh, from the experiences that we have had in talking to different departments uh, within New York Life is that many of the insurance processes uh, that are there today are, you know, very fragmented and manual in nature. So uh, we wanted to solve them. And one of the examples was claims. So claim is essentially um, uh, something that is filed with the insurance company when the insured person passes away. And once it's approved, we pay out the beneficiary. Um, that has to be a simple process in itself because that is where, uh, you know, we also have some part linking into the customer experience, right? I mean, the experience that the beneficiaries have with us. But that uh, was totally fragmented and manual in nature. And we wanted uh, a technology platform where we could reimagine the entire process. And so how we did was, you know, we used the, the services available on AWS, which uh, Sudeep will speak to you in a second, um, uh, you know, like Amazon uh, Simple Workflow Service, SNS, um, SQS and, and many other services uh, for different processes, but essentially to reimagine the entire process and, um, you know, make it really streamlined. Uh, because may, over the years we had processes wherein we had different systems and each of these systems had their own terminologies and we were doing things in a certain way 
because you know there were systems that were built in a certain way. So we uh, we are going to talk about claims today um, and tell you what architecture we used, how um, you know how we use the different services available on AWS, and kind of streamline the entire workflow. So at this point, I would like to invite Sudeep uh, to come on stage and take you through the remaining. Thank you, Rohit, and good morning, everyone. After having two coffees, I hope my head's in the game. <laughs> so this is the overview of claim processing in general. Beneficiary submits the claim online using a simple form. Claim is saved in a DynamoDB table. We are using Lambda to trigger an SWF workflow process off of it. And that workflow takes care of the entire claim lifecycle. And SNS is used to send status updates to beneficiaries and all the other entities involved in claim processing. This is our application architecture. We are hosting the portal that's built for insurance as a service on the back end on a Node.js deployment on Elastic Beanstalk. And I want to emphasize the fact that this server is used only for hosting the website. There is no business logic there. On the front end, we are using Angular 2. Angular 2 was an easy choice for us because it's a framework. So it offers a lot of functionality that's built in. And it maintains a clear distinction between the JavaScript that drives your application and the HTML template that's being rendered. On the back end, we are using different AWS services. So Cognito for user authentication and authorization. And we are also using it to protect our Node.js API routes, which are mostly used for data accessing. Then we are using DynamoDB to store all of our data. As Rahul said, it scales up really well. It has virtually no latency. And yes, it's NoSQL. And we are using Lambda to perform most of our business logic and calculations. Lambdas are also used as triggers in our workflow. Uh, the, the trigger is fired off of the insert event from DynamoDB. And lastly, we are using SNS to manage the notifications. We are keeping the beneficiary updated about the status of the claim. Uh, and as of now, we are using it coupled with Apple notification system to send notifications to Apple devices. Next up, how we are using Cognito. So first of all, let's go back to why we chose Cognito. Our requirements, like I imagine most of your requirements, are simplicity, scalability, and security. So Cognito lets us easily access different AWS services that we are using. Then it supports both authenticated and unauthenticated identities. And we are using unauthenticated identities to enable the beneficiary to upload documents to an S3 bucket when the beneficiary is submitting a claim. Then through the use of Cognito Identity Pool, we can map more than one users to the pool and enable all the users to have same kind of access to different AWS services and resources. And last interesting requirement we had was to secure our Node.js API routes. And this is where the custom authorizer Lambda comes into picture. So we are using the access token that's returned by Cognito and we are passing it to the node server and using the custom authorizer to validate the token and effectively secure the Node.js route. Uh, 
Let's talk about user pools. Why did we select user pools? We wanted an easy and fully managed way to create uh, and manage our own user directories. User pools scale really well, up to millions of users. They're completely managed by Amazon, and they provide enhanced security in form of multi-factor authentication. And there's also ease of use for the end user because uh, the user can sign in using phone number or email address. And as a startup, this the offloading of the management to Amazon Cognito uh, was a critical factor for us. And I'm happy to share with you that we work closely with the Cognito team uh, as early beta users of the user pools. Next up, we'll talk about lambdas and how we are using them as event processors in particular. So as you can see from the diagram, uh, the, lambda, the first lambda, which is assign claim and trigger workflow, that's triggered from a DynamoDB stream. And in particular, we are processing the insert event to start a workflow for a claim that's been newly inserted. And lambdas are also used to perform some additional business logic in our workflow, such as interest calculation when we are ready to pay the beneficiary, and document upload where the analyst can request the beneficiary to upload more documents. Last service I'd like to talk about is SNS. Uh, and again, why SNS? It's completely managed by Amazon. It's reliable, it's scalable, and it's secure because all your messages and all your topics are completely protected. <clears throat> it's cost effective because it has a pay-as-you-go model. You only pay for the messages that you are sending and the charges Amazon incurs for sending those messages. And it integrates well with other AWS services as well. So the use case we have here is publishing to the claims topic and the analysts uh, who are subscribed to the topic and receive the notifications. And with that, I'd like to invite Rahul back onto the stage. Hope you're enjoying this session so far, and thank you. So, so far, uh, first thanks, uh, Rohit and Sudeep. Uh, uh, so, so far, uh, we talked more about uh, the back end, but then the other critical part of the equation is uh, how to build uh, the clients, uh, specifically for a mobile application. So, AWS Mobile Hub is uh, one of our services. Uh, the goal behind AWS Mobile Hub is to make it easy for developers to get started as they are creating mobile applications uh, for their users. These mobile applications can be native applications. Uh, so we have SDKs uh, for iOS and Android. These can be hybrid applications, where a web view basically renders inside a container. Or they could be web applications uh, that are being targeted uh, for mobile devices. We have a range of SDKs iOS, Android, JavaScript uh, for web applications. Then Unity, Xamarin. Unity specifically focused on uh, gaming developers. As well as uh, recently we announced uh, or launched uh, React Native SDK as well. So you can use that SDK uh, as part of your React Native applications also. 
Now, the way you get started with the AWS Mobile Hub is go to the console. It's an easy getting started experience. You create an application template. You get a collection of services as part of the console. So, for example, if you want to add sign-in to your application, you pick up sign-in using Cognito. You want to add cloud logic using Lambda, you pick up that one. Or say you want NoSQL uh, database, then pick up uh, NoSQL with DynamoDB. Once in a a la carte manner, uh, you have picked up the services and the features that you want in your application, you have two choices. You can basically generate uh, application uh, code as samples. So you can use these easy getting started samples to uh, just quickly get started uh, for iOS and Android. Or you can follow step-by-step -step instructions based on the features that you picked, and then you can use the, those instructions to integrate that functionality into uh, your application. So for example, if you picked up sign-in, you just get uh, simple steps to integrate sign-in using social identity providers or uh, SAML or user pools as part of your application. We announced uh, support for custom connectors as part of Mobile Hub uh, just a couple of weeks back. It's already available. As I said, uh, one of the top priorities and requirements for uh, enterprise applications is ability to leverage what you already have. These may be your existing data sources, systems of record, enterprise applications, uh, private API endpoints behind the firewall. So you can use a custom connector as part of AWS Mobile Hub to access uh, these uh, private API endpoints. Custom Connector, again, uses the serverless microservices pattern. It's a Lambda function that basically acts as a simple proxy for APIs that you're invoking from your client applications and maps them to the private API endpoints uh, that are behind the firewall. It's front-ended by API Gateway. So it gives you uh, the scalability as well as all the capabilities I described earlier uh, as part of API Gateway. We also have support for uh, SaaS connectors as part of uh, Mobile Hub. Increasingly, uh, enterprises are adopting like this wide range of uh, SaaS applications, whether it be Salesforce, Zendesk, uh, Microsoft Dynamics. Right? And as you build uh, mobile applications, web applications, you do want to integrate with these uh, SaaS applications. So we are happy to say we have a set of connectors that we provide bundled in as part of AWS Mobile Hub. The SaaS connector give access to common objects in these uh, SaaS applications. For example, accounts, opportunities, leads, uh, a customer record. You get access to these uh, common objects, as well as you can do queries on the custom objects as well. So fairly rich functionality. And again, follows uh, the microservices uh, pattern. These SaaS connectors are Lambda functions that are front-ended by API Gateway. So you get REST APIs for each of these uh, SaaS connectors that you can invoke from your mobile and web applications. Now, one of the advantages of using API Gateway and Lambda here is that, and specifically the serverless microservices pattern, so you get uh, multiple advantages. So first, as your applications are invoking uh, 
uh, APIs on these SaaS applications, you can do metering and auditing. You can control access to the APIs as well. Uh, you can uh, manage the performance uh, of these APIs through integration with CloudFront, so fairly low latency access. So again, all the advantages of using API Gateway and Lambda apply here as well. Now, what we have also done is that irrespective of uh, which SaaS applications you're going to, so for example, whether a Salesforce or a Zendesk, now each of them have a notion of an account, a customer, as an example. Uh, now, what we have done is like we have normalized APIs to access these common objects across these SaaS applications. So an account is an account, whether you go to one of these uh, applications, and you can use the same REST APIs to access uh, across uh, these multitude of uh, SaaS applications you're integrating with. You also get uh, pagination uh, as well as uh, like filtering, a common mechanism of doing that. So fairly consistent APIs. And uh, in terms of uh, these SaaS connectors, while we have built the, these initial six, think of it as a blueprint for you to build more SaaS connectors. Or you can work with uh, some of our partners, like uh, we mentioned Cloud Elements is one of the partners, so you could get some of these connectors from uh, our partners as well. But we encourage you to use these blueprints, look at how these uh, connectors are structured, and then uh, you can build your own or you could use a reusable set of uh, connectors as well. Now, one of the exciting news as part of uh, reInvent has been uh, Amazon Lex. Now, Amazon Lex enables you to build uh, voice-enabled applications with natural language understanding, as well as uh, build uh, applications that are enabled with uh, AI. Now, the way you integrate uh, Amazon Lex and its functionality uh, with mobile application to create voice-enabled applications as well as uh, applications that integrate with bots, it's enabled through uh, AWS Mobile Hub. The steps are very simple. We have uh, iOS and Android SDKs uh, for Amazon Lex. We also have custom controls that you can, with a few lines of code, integrate into your uh, mobile applications. Once you have done the integration, like as your applications are launched, a typical scenario would be a user speaks into this application to do a voice conversation, or they could uh, uh, do chat uh, through text interface as well. Right? The whole idea here is to enable newer experiences, newer, unique, compelling experiences. Right? And let's look at some examples. Like I, as a user, I want to have a voice con conversation with a customer support agent. Maybe that's the most native way of doing so. Or a field sales agent wants to check the latest on an opportunity or a customer record in Salesforce. Or you could have an application that lets you access, either through text or voice, a customer record in Salesforce and then create a trouble ticket in yet another system. So lots of possibilities as you look at Lex in the context of mobile application for enterprise scenarios. Now, once the user speaks or types into the mobile application enabled with Lex, the user input is processed by Amazon Lex with support for natural language understanding. It can respond back 
with a stock response that you have configured as part of your Amazon Lex uh, uh, application. Or it can invoke Dynamo uh, Lambda functions uh, for the fulfillment of the intent uh, corresponding to uh, the Amazon Lex uh, application that you are building. Right? Now these Lambda functions, again, using typical uh, serverless microservices pattern, can respond back dynamically based on the functionality that's contained in there, or it can invoke uh, uh, DynamoDB or some APIs uh, as part of its business logic. Right? So lots of uh, exciting possibilities there for your enterprise applications. Now, I mentioned about uh, the SaaS connectors. Uh, whether it's a custom connector or a SaaS connector, you can use the same connectors as part of uh, Amazon Lex as well. You can do a server-side fulfillment of your intents. So once all the slots corresponding to the intent for Amazon Lex interface are completed, you can, as I said earlier, you can invoke a Lambda function. You can also invoke a SaaS connector to go to one of the SaaS applications as part of the functionality, or you could uh, go to your private API endpoints uh, using the custom connector. Another option is to do a client-side fulfillment, where after the intent and all the slots are filled, you get access to the data corresponding to the intent and the slots on the mobile application side. You can use our REST APIs or our SDKs to invoke these particular connectors uh, to complete the logic uh, behind the intent and the conversation that is going on with Amazon Lex. Right? So all these pieces fit well together. Again, depends on uh, how you want to use that as part of your applications. Now, I want to summarize by saying, as part of AWS, we have a rich set of services right? and uh, a growing, expanding set of services. This gives you a sample of services we see lots of our customers and developers use uh, for mobile applications and as well as the backend. They range from mobile hubs and SDKs for client-side development. For serverless microservices, we have Lambda API Gateway, Identity Management, we have Cognito, Testing, we have Device Farm, then we have our CodeStar family like CodeCommit, CodeDeploy, CodePipeline. For data management, we have uh, DynamoDB, RDS, Cognito Sync. Storage and content, we have S3 CloudFront. Mobile analytics, then analytics and big data, we have set of services there. Then for email and push, we have SNS, simple notification service, as well as SCS, which is simple email service. So lots of services. Now, first of all, I want to thank you all for all the feedback uh, support that you give as we evolve and iterate on these services. Right. Hopefully you continue to create these amazing experiences, applications uh, using these services. Those We all get to enjoy those applications. So have fun, enjoy, and uh, thanks for attending the session.